Hey everybody, welcome back to another week of Rocky Mountain Surgery. This is Jason. And this is Allie. Well, let's get right to it. We have a great episode today for you guys. We met with Dr. Shama Jaiswal about her many wellness projects on campus that she has initiated with the support and help of Dr. Naylor and others on campus. She talks about that as well as just wellness and burnout uh, in general. Uh, why don't we go ahead and listen to that now? Welcome back to Rocky Mount Surgery. Today we are here with Dr. Shama Jaiswal. Dr. Jaiswal is a breast oncology surgeon at Denver Health and the Associate Program Director for our Residency Program here at the University of Colorado. Dr. Jaiswal completed her medical school education in my hometown of Dallas at University of Texas Southwestern. She then completed her general surgery residency at UT Southwestern as well. Following that, she completed her breast oncology fellowship at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Today we're here with Dr. Jaiswal to discuss Dr. Jaiswal's multiple efforts that focus on wellness and aim to tackle burnout and improve resiliency within the residency to program as well as just general surgery abroad. Dr. Jaiswal, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Just to start, Dr. Jaiswal, how did you become interested in wellness and resiliency within surgical training and in practice more broadly? So I think we've all sort of been interested in it from the beginning, and it's just come to light and gained voice, I think, within the last few years. Um, in particular, I went to a, a conference uh, for the Longitudinal Integrated Curriculum Medical Students um, curriculum, and there was a faculty development lecture being given by Jennifer Reese, who's a pediatrician at the university, and she's the head of the CU Resilience Group. And she started talking about her experiences in resiliency and, and burnout and gave a lecture on that. And I started thinking, you know, this really applies to us in surgery. We and surgery, I think, are very high risk for, for burnout because of the nature of our, our careers and the nature of the patients we see. And, and I saw that there was a need for building a program to address those issues and, and making it more more something that we can easily talk about. What do you think it is about surgery that makes us more high risk than maybe some other medical disciplines? Because I, I do think that it's been accepted within all medical disciplines that there are issues with burnout. Um, but what do you think either makes us more susceptible or makes us different, makes us need different types of burnout training and or things to address it? I think that we in surgery deal with patients who are acutely ill, um, whether or not, whether they're coming in because of an acute incident, a trauma or, or something like that, or they're needing surgery, an elective surgery, say a hernia repair. It's a type of, it's a procedure that that a patient needs where they are very, very vulnerable and they have given their physician an immense amount of trust. Um, and because they've given them an immense amount of trust, the physician feels an immense amount of responsibility. And when things go wrong, um, you know, I think most physicians feel a heavy burden of that responsibility and, and make it, and it makes them think twice about the next patient that they see. And, and so if you add that up day over day, time, month after month, I think that can, that that can result in, in burnout if there's not a outlet. Could you explain some of the projects that are in the works here at University of Colorado that you think will help uh, residents with managing burnout and improving their resilience? And then kind of what are some bigger picture ideas you have more broadly for burnout and resiliency in the future? 
So we're just starting our CU Resiliency uh, curriculum, and I, I have thoughts for every single year of training, um, but I'm starting primarily with the research residents because they're easiest to access uh, in terms of trying to develop um, their communication skills, their, uh, their response to stress, stressful situations, uh, and to bring these topics out into the open of when they are feeling stressed or depressed or um, that they have resources to go to. And also I think part of it is just building that community so that I think residents are a very tight-knit community. And so once they can see that they are able to have peers who are open and willing and ready to help them um, when they run into these difficult situations, I think that's the start of, 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 of building that resilient community, not just a resilient resident, but a resilient community that's there for, for that person. Um, and so I'm starting with the research residents um, and, and because they have the most time, and, which, and then I'm hoping that, that by inoculating, if you want to use that word, inoculating these residents um, against burnout and inoculating them for resiliency that my hope is that they will then help inoculate the remaining uh, remaining junior residents and help me teach them um, time management and um, how to be a leader and how to respond to stressful situations that come up as a junior resident. And then as these residents progress over time and the research residents become senior residents, they will hopefully can maintain that sort, those sorts of characteristics and we need to plan other activities for more senior residents that will, will continue with them during those times and, and during the years three, four, and five, I think, um, addressing issues uh, that surround stress around growing families, um, potential illnesses that, you know, of, of aging parents, things like that that maybe not were not an issue when they were interns. I think those are sorts of different issues that will arise as residents progress. Um, and then I think my hope is that as we train the next generation, this next generation of residents, that we are not only training them to learn how to cut and cure, but we're training them how to just be functional physicians and human beings that will last for the remainder of their their practice and their life. And so that you know the effort that we have put into and what they have put into building their careers isn't just lost at year 10 when they finish practice because they have burned enough bridges that they're fired or they've gotten divorced and they're you know, an alcoholic and they can't practice you know that that it, to me is a failure of training um, altogether so that's my ultimate hope and goal one of the criticisms that I've heard about some of these programs that are attempting to combat burnout, which is something that is sincerely important, is that you're basically, during your academic time, put in a room with some other people and you like fill out a bunch of surveys, basically. So you're doing something for two hours that's required. And then you're like, wow, I could have been with my family or, you know, doing yoga or whatever during that point in time. So how do you think that this is actually something that can feel valuable to people? Because it has to, you have to feel that it's valuable to you to be invested in it and to actually gain resilience against burnout. So what do you think are like the actual tangible things that people 
are going to be going through during the program that you've devised that will really help and won't just be like, I'm filling out a survey that says I'm one to six burned out. You know what I mean? Right. And so, I mean, part of, part of my, my thought process is developing a program for wellness, but also I do want to study it. And hence those surveys are, are out there. Um, and the reason I want to study it is because I want to see if it works, right? I don't, sure. if I, if I implement a program or if we implement a program, it's not necessarily I, because it's a we, you know, if we implement a program that is useless, then certainly we shouldn't continue it. And if, if we don't have data to say it works or it doesn't, then we don't know. And we'll either continue something that's horrible or, you know, and, and not know it. And so the surveys, I think, are a, a tool to determine if th- something is working or not. Uh, I think the way to engage people in, in, in the program is to, is ask them, I mean, is frankly just asking their opinions of things. I mean, all of I, the, the participation in these, these things are voluntary. Um, my hope is that by engaging and asking in focus groups or just short, small group sessions, you know, what it is that they, what makes them um, feel more resilient, you know, whether it's participating in a, in a, in a, um, a um, institutional sponsored event or whether it's having some time away to be with, you know, a sick family member or, you know, a, a child, you know, is that helpful you know i think each person is different participation in these programs will be voluntary and if my hope is that the the community that will surround these these types of events will bring people into them that people will want to join um, rather than than not one of the things that i was hoping that you would talk about Mm -hmm. is um either the retreat that you're planning Mm -hmm. or i know that we've talked previously about some pretty fluid and fun opportunities to make faculty mentors uh, outside of the operating room. And I think that those things that we've discussed before really sound like things that would not be burdensome to me, that actually feel like they would make me happy and maybe gain some like true life and surgery and doctor skills in the process. <laughs> so will you elaborate a little bit about those? About the mentorship program in particular. So my, th- you know, traditionally in our mentorship programs, uh, the residents have been assigned to a faculty member primarily based on academic interest of, I want to be a surgical oncologist. So, you know, a resident is paired up with, you know, a resident who wants to be a surgical oncologist is paired up with a surgical oncologist. But whether or not those two people really mesh in terms of personality, uh, you know, is has been irrelevant in the past. And so I, I think in order to sort of take away the some, a little bit of the hierarchy where re- attendings are he- up here and residents are here, which doesn't really make for a very good partnership. Um, I, my thought was to pair residents with faculty members based on outside interests, hobbies, you know, to, uh, for example, there are many people in Colorado who enjoy cycling. Uh, and so I'm sure there are many residents who enjoy cycling, and I know there are faculty members who enjoy cycling. So wouldn't it be awesome to pair two faculty members and maybe four or five residents who enjoy cycling, and they go on a six-hour bike ride? And then that starts a conversation, that opens a conversation around cycling, but then also the two folks, resident, the two groups, the residents and attendings, discuss things beyond just academics, and they relate to each other on a different level. And so then, when it comes back to the academic world, 
that relationship is already there. And so my goal would be to have the faculty member not just be a friend or, or a mentor, but to be an advocate for the resident so that when the resident is struggling with X, Y, and Z procedure or X, Y, and Z academic, that the attending then is truly able to to talk to the attend to the attending is able to talk to the resident and say, hey, you know, Joe, I'm I really think that you're struggling here, and, I, and I'm talking to you as a friend and not as a as a hierarchical person, and I'm on your side. Let's see how we can figure out how to make this better for you, so that we can get you to be the best surgeon and and academic or private practice person that you want to be. We, we've spoken offline about this renewed interest in resiliency and burnout and kind of what spurred it on. Do you think it's uh, changes in, in the demographic makeup of surgery more so as it, it relates to the generational changes? Is it something more broad? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on why this is now a renewed focus? I mean, de- I mean, definitely it could be a generational thing with younger you know residents being millennials and the 80-hour work week where maybe you know, some people think that, well, people who come into surgery now these days are perhaps less focused or more focused on um, lifestyle than than necessarily career. But honestly, I think it's, it's just the right time. I mean, I think healthcare industry is the last bastion that has ignored their own health for for ages and um, other companies other businesses have have looked into uh, wellness of their employees much earlier on Um, and it's just ironic that physicians don't haven't admitted that they're also human and how many times did you go to the dentist as a resident (laughs) good question i think i think i probably i don't know i i don't even remember the first three years of residency are truly a blur that was prior to the 80 hour work week um i honestly don't remember luckily you know i was young enough and healthy enough i had no medical issues during residency um and i think that's what many residents rely on or like well just keep going and going until I can't anymore um, and and as I've grown older I've realized that I, I can't do that one because my body's not as young as it used to be and, and truly it's truly not healthy you know truly to, to ignore yourself during residency it has long-term consequences that and I and consequence like me personally I have medical issues now that I know that I developed during residency that I probably wouldn't have if I had taken care of myself um, nothing long-lasting and permanent or dangerous but you know still even if it's as simple as getting a healthy meal drinking water on a regular basis things just to take care of yourself in those basic ways that um, that you don't think about because you're busy taking care of everybody else. Just to put that statement in context, there was a study, and I can't remember exactly where it was published or what journal, but they looked at the creatinine and and renal function of the patients in an ICU. I think it was a surgical ICU, but it might have been a medical ICU, and compared that to the providers in the ICU and found that the providers showed worsening renal function (laughs) compared to the patients throughout the day, presumably due to the lack of uh, PO intake. And I mean, it is a demanding job, and all of us sign up for it knowing what we're getting ourselves into and are happy to take on that burden. But at the same time, it is important that we take care of ourselves so that we can take care of our patient. 
Everybody surrounding the surgeons takes breaks. You know, I always, you know, when I'm sitting in the OR for a long case, you know, the anesthesiologist takes breaks, the scrub techs takes breaks. I'm like, every now and then I joke, I'm like, who's scrubbing me out? Nobody's scrubbing me out. So, you know, I, I, and I think it's imperative that surgeons recognize that, you know, yes, it is a long case. I'll be right back. I just need to go, you know, water in, water out, <laughs> and I'll be right back. And nothing will be the worst for it, right? Um, and just to admit that you're human and that you, need to be, you know, need to be taken care of also. And I guarantee you that the patient on the table would appreciate that, would appreciate that the surgeon has taken two minutes to to get a drink of water or grab a snack or, you know, and to continue their long, arduous surgery. So I, you know, I think it's, um, it's just a, for a long time, surgeons were, you know, thought that they could be superhuman and, you know, we do superhuman things, but we are also still human. So we have a fairly diverse set of listeners, and so we have listeners who are pre-medical, they're in medical school across the country, uh, they may even be in other parts of the globe, and mm-hmm. opportunities for uh, learning about resiliency and fighting burnout are going to uh, be equally diverse. And so for an individual who maybe doesn't have access to the programs that other programs have to, to prevent burnout, what are some tips that an individual could, uh, some, some habits that they could develop to improve their own resiliency? I think one of the uh, resiliency exercises or wellness exercises that I enjoy the most, which anybody can do, and it's available online, is called the bullseye exercise. Bullseye. I've never heard of this. I'm going to make work. <laughs> and the bullseye exercise really is talking about um, is talking about different four different aspects of life, whether, you know, whether it's uh, work life relationships um, health nutrition and um, now the fourth one I can't think about I forget the fourth one at this instant we'll put it in the show notes <laughs> okay um, and it asks it asks pointed questions on each of these four topics of life um, and you know it, it, the process takes maybe about 10 minutes so if, if somebody has 10 minutes to do this exercise and they make uh, they make a, they make a list of things that that they are doing in each of these aspects of life and then they what they're doing and then they make another list of where they ideally see themselves and sort of put themselves on a bullseye you know like you've seen the circles with the bullseye and mm-hmm. so where you you start where you put a dot in each of these four quadrants of where you are currently and then the bullseye is where you want to be and then you start thinking about okay well in my work in my work area am i at the bullseye where I want to be or what what's one thing that I can do this year or this month to make me a little bit closer to that bullseye you know and in my health life you know and my exercise my you know that sort of life am I working out as much as I want to be or you know and then what can I do what's one thing that I can do this year to help me get a little bit closer and so I think reevaluating where one is and where one wants to be in a in a very mindful way is a way to to stop all of the chaos and nonsense that's happening every day all the time and to really hone in on what it is that individual wants to do and wants to be and where they want to go Um, and I think that helps people focus um, their life their 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 leisure their family Um, and I really enjoy that exercise because I, I think when one just goes through life doing work 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 everything else gets lost and so if you're not mindful of the other areas in life then I think that results in burnout. So if you're able to be mindful of all aspects of your life and to know that 
yeah, I'm going to say no to this work dinner because I really want to have dinner today with my kids because that's going to help me here. But that because that work dinner isn't going to help me get to the bullseye at work. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Allie, do you recall anything as an intern of second year that you did that you thought others could emulate for resiliency or improving their resiliency? In other words, what did you do that you felt was most important for kind of your mental health? Honestly, something that I thought was really nice that we did towards the end of our intern year was we kind of instituted like a Thursday night thing where we would either grab drinks or dinner together. And it was usually at least five people from our class that would show up and it didn't take a long time. We would come after work. So we'd make it at like seven o'clock and we'd go to a bar or restaurant and five of us would just kind of decompress for an hour. It wasn't always like perfect for our spouses to come because it was just like so medical, all of the conversation that I'm sure that those of you guys who have non-medical spouses, they're always like, I roll. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But for us, I think that especially, you know, at the end of your first year, you're feeling more confident. You have really made a lot of decisions that have impacted patient care. And it is really helpful to talk through the ups and downs with your colleagues and get their perspective on things. Especially like our group of residents has very different personalities, but we all get along very well. And so for me to be able to talk about a patient experience while drinking a beer while I'm not at work with my friends who also are my colleagues and are there was something that I thought was really nice. And then also to be able to on my days off, it's like, especially as an intern, you have to balance the stress of like, I don't know this, so I need to read about this. And I don't know this case, so I need to practice for this case in whatever way with also like doing something for yourself because you have to have some time like on your one day off a week where you're doing something for yourself and it's not 100% about work. So whether that was hiking or spending time with my husband or something like that, that was also very important to me, staying a sane human. I think what you said is, is completely true. Like the, the stresses of residency aren't going away. This isn't about making residency, you know, softer, kinder necessarily, but it's a, it's, it's about teaching people how to deal with those stresses in a healthy way. Um, you know, those stresses will come and those stresses will be there when, when residents are out in practice. And there may be even more stresses of different kinds that residents don't even think about at this point. Um, so I think it's about knowing when those stresses hit you, acknowledging them, and then figuring out how to deal with them and move on. So that's what I hope to teach. I think big challenge with this topic is these are somewhat nebulous concepts you know, what is burnout per se? What is resiliency? I, I think a lot of people have this idea that that's part of any job, that some days you're going to come into work and you're going to love it. And some days you're going to wish you were on a beach somewhere. And that's part of being human, like we've talked about. But what are some specific, first off, how would you define burnout? And then what are some specific signs that someone may uh, exhibit that would suggest that maybe they're experiencing burnout? So then the, in the classical sense in literature, right, burnout is defined as being feeling emotionally exhausted, um, feeling, um, feeling dehumanized or that you treat your patients or treat your coworkers in a, in a way that you per, perhaps wouldn't if you weren't burned out. Um, and, and the lack of, um, uh, of personal, uh, 
achievement or feeling a person, a sense of personal achievement. And so those are the sort of three classical areas of, in the literature about definition of burnout. And yes, absolutely, burnout exists out totally outside of medicine as well, right? Other, any, anyone can experience burnout in any, in any setting. <laughs> a mom staying at home mm-hmm. with three children, you know, can absolutely experience that burnout. And I, and I, it's sometimes hard for the person who is experiencing the burnout to acknowledge it, I think. Um, and so I think important, it's important to have that community that says, that's able to say openly, Hey, I think maybe, maybe we need some time away from what you're doing, or we need to figure out what stresses you're experiencing and help you manage those, those stresses a little bit better. Or what is it that we can change to make it better? And so I think not necessarily the person who's experiencing the burnout may not be able to say, Hey, stop. I, I'm feeling burned out. I need to, to stop. And, but I, I think it's also having the openness of the community around them to, to acknowledge that and say that. So when, when they see a person who's who, who seems very depressed that they are able to approach that person and say, Hey, you know, I think we need to get you some help. Um, it's all, it's it, the diagnoses mental health diagnoses of depression and bipolar and all of that affect everyone, um, as, as well as medical professionals, uh, and the stigma around that, uh, about going to a psychologist or a psychiatrist is huge in our field. Um, and I think, that is another battle that needs to be won um, about, you know, going to a, a, you know, a therapist is just as fine as going to the dentist because both are necessary for continued health, you know, and I, I think that people, that changing the culture, like we talked about earlier, is important so that when a, when a resident says to an attending, I need to go, you know, to my therapist, the attending doesn't make fun of the resident and, and say, well, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, that, so I think it is changing the culture around us. There was that whole thing on Twitter this year about surge socks or wellness socks. I'm, you're on Twitter a little bit more than I am, so I talk about it like I'm 80 years old. But um, hashtag, there's a hashtag involved. Yeah, there was a hashtag, and people were wearing like crazy socks one day um, and posting pictures of it. Just these are people within like the medical Twitter community to highlight um, physician mental health and suicide awareness within groups of physicians because. It is something that definitely happens. Um, And just like you said, I mean, we certainly agree that if you have an issue, any type of health issue, a mental health issue is a health issue. And it's a common thing among everybody. And you need to take care of yourself. We'll have to get Luke Selby on the podcast to talk about Surge Socks. He's the the med Twitter czar on Surge Socks. A lot of this conversation has focused on the resident point of view, Um, but I know that there are a lot of medical students or pre-med students that listen to Rocky Mountain Surgery, and so a couple of questions on their behalf. One is, how can you start developing these skills early so that by the time you're in an intensive training program, whether it's surgery or other, that you are ready to handle the day-to-day stress and also like the big things that happen. That life happens during medical training. (laughs) That and and that like some days at work are worse than other days Mm -hmm. at work. Sometimes big things happen at work that you take home with you. Um, So that's my first question. And then my second question is for those listeners who are going to be interviewing in the next year or two, what should they be looking for in residency programs that address wellness? 
I think there are more and more medical schools that are focusing on wellness um, overall. Um, I know our medical school uh, has various retreats and 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 programs to improve communication, improve, um, and I think communication is one big piece of, of of avoiding burnout. If you can communicate well, not only that helps you know patient care, but also helps you voice your own feelings and and thoughts and burn and you know when you're burned out. So I think um, I think medical students hopefully they're at a place if or if they have if they're in the pre med situation you know they're hopefully they can look for a medical school that has programs that surround teaching um, teaching ways to to be to be well whether it's providing um, instruction on 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 physical wellness or um, or psychological wellness or social wellness I, you know there are medical schools that certainly don't but hopefully most medical school, schools these days are having at least a few programs around around that in terms of residents looking for for programs you know, I think a residency program that doesn't have any any sort of emphasis or any sort of acknowledgement that this is a this can be an issue in residency is a program that probably has red flags, right? Um, and I, I think that a program that that says that we start ten residents and we finish five is probably also a, a program that doesn't focus on the well-being and and advocacy for residents. And so I think our, our program definitely is not one of those. We definitely have um, a, a wonderful program that has a, has a great program director um, that is an advocate for residents and their well-being as well as their careers. And so I think our program is um, is at the forefront of, of surgical residencies. Although I'd say in, in terms of residencies overall, I think surgery residencies are a little bit behind when it compared to say family medicine and internal Peds. medicine peds <laughs> residencies that have, have acknowledged that this uh, burnout and, re- and need for wellness is, has been an issue for, um, and we we're, the surgery residencies are just now coming um, around to that fact. <laughs> I want to put this talk into perspective of what it means to patients. You know, what is the significance of, of burnout resiliency and, and why should someone maybe not in the medical community care that this is a renewed interest? Uh, does burnout uh, or the reverse resiliency have effect on patient outcomes or our ability to care for our patients? So there, there are m- multiple studies that talk about um, improvement in patient errors when someone isn't burned out. So, or conversely, the more burned out someone is, the more likely a patient error is likely to occur. Um, and I don't have the numbers on me, um, but maybe it says twice as high mm-hmm. that we, we read earlier today. Um, and so, I think you know, obviously, patient errors happen, um, and but I I think that it when when the physicians are more mindful of their physical and mental well being, um, that they are less likely to be um, less likely to make these errors and be more alert and more mindful and more more accurate in their practices. Well, Dr. Jaswal, we really appreciate your time. Uh, I think this is been a really interesting talk and I for one am very excited about our residency retreat that's coming up uh, in just a matter of a few well I guess it's a little bit further out a couple weeks yeah October Uh, so I'm very excited about that
I can't wait to catch Jason in a trust fall. <laughs> That's really going to be the highlight of this like for me. For <laughs> But in all seriousness, we do think that this is something that's very important. And we appreciate you spearheading this for our group. We think that it'll make us better doctors. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. All right. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Dr. Chiswell. Well, Jason, I think that was an excellent discussion about burnout and resiliency in the course of residency. I know that it's something that it can be tough. You know, we have a difficult job. uh, People's lives are at stake and sometimes people have bad outcomes. And it's important to kind of gain these skills or at least to gain some collective skills with your peers so you guys can go through this together and still be happy with what you're doing. You have any thoughts? You looking forward to the wellness retreat? <laughs> I am pumped about the wellness retreat. All right, guys, don't forget, you can always email us your questions with uh, residency application season coming up. We know that there's going to be some questions out there. So feel free to email us at rmspodcasts at outlook.com or tweet at us or follow us on Twitter at rmspod. You guys, it's so exciting. Residency applications coming up so, so soon. What is it, like the middle of September when your ERAS stuff is due? So please give a listen to applying to surgery type podcast from us. We definitely have one on your actual application, on kind of the interview day, on personal statements, all of those things. So please give us a listen. And we're going to do a mock interview in the coming weeks to help you guys prepare and get an idea of what to expect during the interview day. I hope that I get admitted to Samuel's Medical School. (laughs) I mean, Samuel's General Surgery Residency. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.